Pitrubhaktaya Namaha I bow to this divine couple who look like each other. I worship them for fulfillment. Canto 4 Bharada's Vow In the meantime, all the citizens who were able to follow had run after Rama's chariot, determined not to be left behind. Rama tried his best to persuade them to return, but they refused. So the three of them alighted from the chariot and walked with them until they reached the banks of the Tamasa River. Here all of them spent the night. A bed of leaves was made for Rama and Sita, and here they slept while Lakshmana and Sumantra kept awake. Waking up well before dawn, Rama observed that the tired citizens were still fast asleep. He feared that they would keep urging him to return. So he called Sita and Lakshmana and requested Sumantra to drive them to the forest before they woke up. In the morning, the citizens were heartbroken to find Rama gone and lamented their lot. They sadly traced their way back to Ayodhya. The chariot in the meanwhile quickly crossed the boundary of Kosla and arrived at the banks of the Ganga, where they were met by the Nishada chief, Guha, who was delighted to meet the young princess and Sita. The tribal chief did all he could to host the royal tree. That night was spent on the banks of the sacred river. At dawn, Rama woke up and requested Guha to take them across the river. He asked Sumantra to return to Ayodhya, for he preferred to proceed on foot. The charioteer was very unhappy to hear this and begged him to return with him, for the king had made him promise to bring him back. But he had no option but to obey Rama. Rama said, Sumantra, it is up to you to take care of my father. There was no one so devoted to our family as you. Please bring back Bharata immediately, and then my father will feel better. Tell the king that I am not in the least unhappy at leaving Ayodhya and living in the forest. Sita and Lakshmana also are not unhappy. After fourteen years, I shall return and take the dust of his feet, convey my respects to my mothers, and love to Bharata and Shatrukna. Sumantra, it is your duty to return and give what comfort you can to my aged parents. Please do not worry about us. Reluctantly, with tears streaming from his eyes, the noble Sumantra returned to Ayodhya. In the meantime, Guha had arranged a boat, and soon the three of them were rowed across the sacred river Ganga. From there, the three of them proceed on foot, much to Sita's delight. The next day they reached the hermitage of sage Bharadwaja, picturesquely situated at the very holy spot of Prayaga or confluence of the rivers Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati. Having spent the night at that delightful hermitage, they proceeded the next day to the sacred hill of Chitrakuta as directed by the sage. Rama was very conscious of the duty he owed to Maithili, the dainty princess of Mithila, 
who was prepared to brave the dangers of the forest in order to be with him. And he tenderly helped her over the rough patches and kept up her spirits. She, on the other hand, was filled with delight at seeing all the wonderful plants and flowers of the forest and kept exclaiming with delight at everything, pointing out many new things to Rama and asking him about them. Rama said, O Lakshmana, please walk in front of the princess of Videha and clear a path for her so that her tender feet will not be hurt by the sharp stones and thorns. I will come after and guard her from the rear. If you see any beautiful flowers or fruits, please pluck them for her. Lakshmana was delighted to do this service, and soon Sita was loaded with bunches of flowers and fruit, so that she looked like a veritable wood nymph. As they approached the region of Chitrakota, made holy by the sages who lived there, Rama pointed out to Sita the various interesting things to be seen. Behold these trees, my love, heavy with fruits and nuts, this huge hive filled with honey and all these delicious roots. We will never go hungry. Though you may not have the delicacies of the palace, you will feast at the abundance of nature. You shall sleep on a bed of fragrant grass and flowers and have the nightingale to sing a lullaby for you. You will be woken up by the cooing of the wood pigeons. Tell me, are they not more melodious than the bards of Ayodhya? Thus beguiling Sita with many interesting anecdotes, the party soon reached the holy mountain of Chitrakuta. Rama requested Lakshmana to build a hut of wattle for them, for he felt that this was the right place for them to live. Lakshmana made a beautiful hermitage for them, and for about three months they lived comfortably and happily at this charming place. Sita and Rama used to roam around the mountains, hand in hand, while Lakshmana kept watch. Tiny wild flowers carpeted the hillsides, and silver cascades tumbled down the rocks. One day Rama and Sita bathed in the Mandagini river, and then relaxed on the banks, tired by their walk and the swim. Sita leaned against a tree, while Rama slept on her lap. At this time, an incident occurred, which he was to narrate to Hanuman long afterwards. Rama dropped off to sleep, and a sharp wind came and whipped off her top scarf. Just at that time, a crow who was flying by saw the beauty of her breasts and flew down and pecked at them, as if he suspected them to be berries. Sita screamed and shoot it off time and time again. Rama, who had been sleeping, had not witnessed the incident. Hearing her cries, he woke up, but he did not realize the extent of her injury and told her not to distress herself and went back to sleep. Again the crow swooped down and pecked her hard. Rama woke up and drops of hot blood fell on his face. He realized that this is no ordinary crow, but Jayanta, the son of Indra. He became very angry when he saw Sita's tearful face, and taking a reed, he muttered the fierce incantation of Brahma and hurled it at the crow, who flew off in great fright. The potentized reed followed the crow to all the worlds, and at last, in great terror, he returned to Rama and begged his forgiveness. As usual, 
Rama could never assist a person in distress, so agreed to spare his life. But the reed, once discharged and made potent with the mantra, had to find a target. So instead of killing him, it blinded the crow in his right eye. Rama then comforted his frightened wife, who was sobbing with pain and rage. Whilst the three exiles were thus having a comfortable sojourn in the forest, the messenger sent by Vasishta brought back the two princes, Bharata and Shatrukna. As they entered the city of Ayodhya, they were surprised to see the gloomy looks of the citizens. They went first to the king's apartment, and not finding him there, Bharata went to his mother's abode. Kaikeyi rejoiced to see her handsome son. When questioned by him about the sorrowful looks of the citizens and the absence of his father, she told him the entire story and waited for his look of joy at the thought that he would soon be installed as king in his brother's place. Bharata could not believe his ears. He was amazed to see how little his mother knew him. Surely my eldest brother Rama should be king and not me, he exclaimed. Now Kaikeyi told him the whole story of the king's promise and Rama's exile. She waited expectantly for her son's words of appreciation at his mother's cleverness. She was shocked at his reaction. He jumped back as if stung by a wasp and exclaimed in horror, Can you really expect me to rejoice at this news? Having deprived me of the two people I value most in my life, my father and my brother, do you imagine that I will seize the throne for myself and rejoice at my good fortune? Oh, wicked woman, I cannot bear to call you mother. It was my misfortune to have been born in your womb. You have brought nothing but calamity on our race, and now you are bent on exterminating it. What possessed you to act in this insane fashion? Having ranted and raved at his mother thus, Bharata rushed to Kausalya's apartment for he could not bear to look at, at Kaigei's face. Kausalya turned her head away when she saw him approach. He was totally bereft at this treatment and fell at her feet and reiterated his innocence. At last she was convinced of his ignorance of his mother's plot and comforted him. Controlling his grief, Shatrupna and he proceeded to perform the last rites of his father. The next day, sage Vasishta requested him to come to the court and urged him to accept the kingdom. Bharata vehemently declined the offer and said that he had decided to go to the forest to try and persuade his brother to return and take up his rightful heritage. When this news was breaked abroad, the whole city decided to accompany him. A huge cavalcade consisting of elephants, horses, chariots, soldiers, and even the three Dawaga queens set out happily from the city, determined to persuade Rama to return. When they reached the banks of the Ganga, the Nishada chief Guha gave orders that they should be stopped from crossing the river, for he suspected some foul play on Bharata's part. But when he realized that Bharata's intentions were completely honorable, he allowed him to proceed. From there, they went to the hermitage of sage Bharadwaja, who again apprised them of Rama's whereabouts. The sage, with his extraordinary power, the Siddhis, proceeded to feed the entire army 
in a very lavish manner, much to the amazement of all, for such a feast could not be had, even in a palace. The next morning the entourage proceeded to Chitrakuta. Rama had been sitting outside the hermitage with Sita, beguiling her with his graphic descriptions of forest life, when he realized that the whole woodland was in a state of uproar. Birds were screaming and animals running about and a cloud of dust could be seen rising in the distance. He asked Lakshmana to climb a tree and find out the cause of this disturbance. Lakshmana was horrified to see the approaching army with Bharada at its head and decided that Bharada had followed them with the sole intention of killing Rama, thus ensuring that there would be no contender to the throne. He swore that he would kill him before he dared to approach. Rama pacified his impetuous brother, and he awaited Bharada's coming with some trepidation on Lakshmana's part, and full confidence on Rama's. Bharada's eyes were so full of tears at the sight of his brother with matted locks and bark clothing, that he stumbled and would have fallen had not Rama run forward and caught him in a tight embrace. Seating him next to him, Rama tenderly inquired about the welfare of his father and others. He was greatly upset to hear of the demise of his father. Bharata then begged him to return and take up the reins of government, for he was unfit for the task. Rama advised him to do his duty, as he himself had done, and returned to Ayodhya and ruled for fourteen years till his return. Bharata tried many methods to persuade Rama to return. He even said he would fast unto death unless Rama returned. But the latter, with his usual conciliatory and pacifying words, persuaded the grief-stricken prince to do his duty. Then Bharata begged that he be allowed to stay in the forest in view of his brother. But to this also, Rama gave a negative reply and said that in this case, there was no question of proxy. It is indeed rare to find such a noble soul like Bharata, especially in those times when it was quite common for the younger brother to kill the elder and usurp the th- throne. If Rama was the soul of Dharma, Bharata was in no way inferior to him and was the very soul of honor. The Ramayana is thus an inspiring narrative where every character vies with the other to sacrifice his own interest for the sake of the other. In the meantime, Vasishta led the royal lady to Rama's presence. Rama hugged his mother and bemoaned the loss of his father. Rama and Lakshmana then performed the last rites for their father. Bharata was at last reconciled to the fact that he would have to play the role of prince regent, for that appeared to be the only way that he could serve his beloved brother. From the many beautiful articles which he had brought for his brother, Bharata took out a pair of polished wooden sandals embellished with gold. These he put before Rama and requested him to kindly place his lotus feet on them. He swore that he could never ascend the throne of his father, which rightfully belonged to his brother, but would place the sandals on the throne and be only an instrument for carrying out the orders of his brother. He also swore that as long as his brother lived in the forest, he would also live outside the city 
wearing the bark of trees, with matted locks and subsisting only on fruits and roots as his brothers were doing. This he would do for fourteen years, at the end of which he would immolate himself in the fire if his brother did not return. Dharma embraced his noble brother and tenderly stroked his head as Bharata sobbed on his shoulder. He blessed him and told him that he would certainly return the moment the fourteen years were over and take up the reins of government. He then placed his holy feet on the sandals and stood for a few minutes in contemplation and then removed them and gave them to his brother. Bharata placed the footwear on his head and circumambulated Jama thrice. He then walked away while Rama bade farewell to his mother, for he could not bear to see his weeping mother. Having paid obeisance to the elders and his guru, Rama walked into the hut, eyes filled with tears, for he could not watch them depart. The royal party returned to forlorn and bereft capital. The citizens wore gloomy faces, for they had failed in their endeavor. Having taken his mother's back to the palace, Bharata decided to take up his residence at a little village called Nandigrama, a few miles away from Ayodhya. The golden throne of the kings was brought to Nandigrama, and he placed the wooden sandals on the throne and bowed low before them. He said to his ministers, The kingdom will be ruled by me as a sacred trust till my brother returns. Hold the white umbrella of sovereignty over these sandals, for they will rule and not me. Until I see his royal feet placed once more on these sandals, I will live like an ascetic. All those who had assembled there applauded these noble sentiments. For the next fourteen years, Bharata lived a hermit's life. Every day the ministers came from Ayodhya, and they were also clad in bark. They would bow low to the sandals as they would before the king, and all matters of state would be discussed before them. For fourteen years there was no sound of mirth or music in Ayodhya. The chariot wheels were taken out and all the people walked, since Rama had to go on foot. Only the gardens round the empty palace were kept watered and alive, waiting for Rama's return. At last, at least Rama had Sita and Lakshmana with him, and they enjoyed the simple pleasures of a forest life until Sita was abducted. Bharata is not even mentioned by Vaishniki till Rama returned. But we can imagine what a strict life he led, denying himself even the simplest of pleasures. With matted locks and fearing, wearing bark garments, he refused even the pleasure of eating good food. It is said that his only fair were a few grains of wheat soaked in water. He would talk to the sandals and keep reporting everything to them. He did nothing without consulting them. It is impossible for us to imagine such a character. Such sacrifice and self-denial are not seen even in sages. No wonder that Bharata has been extolled as a paragon of all virtues. An aura of gloom covered the ashrama after Bharata left. The tear-stained eyes of his brother haunted Rama. None of the three could forget the painful episode connected with Bharata's visit. The hermitage which had once been a scene of joy 
was now filled with sorrow. At the same time, Rama noticed that the sages who lived in the other ashramas seemed to be troubling about something. When he inquired into the matter, he was told that the Rakshasas living in their settlement called Janasthana had begun to harass them. The Rakshasas were cannibals and would swoop down to the hermitages of the rishis and take off many of their ascetics. Their leader was called Khara and he was the cousin of their king called Ravana. Due to this harassment, the sages had decided to leave Chitrakota. Hearing this, Sita and her the two brothers also decided to leave. They proceeded to the ashrama of sage Atri and his wife Anasuya, who was famous for her charity and her tapas. They were welcomed with great love by the old man and his wife. She took Sita aside the hut in which they lived and praised her for her fidelity and love for her husband and her courage which had made her renounce the comforts of palace life for the rigors of life in the forest. Sita in turn said, Mother, if you only knew the wonderful qualities of my husband, you would not wonder that I preferred to be with him rather than live in the luxurious apartments of the palace. Anasuya was delighted to hear this reply. She caressed Sita fondly and requested her to ask for any boon. She had done so much of tapas that she was capable of giving boons. Sita was surprised. This was the first time that she was capable of... This was the first time that she had met a lady ascetic who had accumulated so much power by austerities. She smiled and said, Mother, what need I have for boons? Am I not the most fortunate woman alive? Have I not got the noblest living being as my husband? Anasuya was charmed by this reply. She brought all the garments and jewelry which she had had and adorned Sita like a bride. She also gave her specially preferred, prepared perfumes which would make her smell sweet and keep her fresh all the time. Then she made Sita recount the events of her Swayamvara, which Sita did with great joy. By this time, night was falling, and the old lady blessed her and told her to go to her husband. Rama's eyes lit up with appreciation when he saw his beloved, just as she had every right to be. They spent that night at the hermitage. In the morning, Atri asked Rama to go to the Landaga forest. He said that the forest was infested with Rakshasas who delighted in molesting the rishis. He requested him to go there and protect the sages from the harassment of these cannibals and allow them to continue their life of simplicity and renunciation. Rama willingly agreed to this and the three of them entered the dark and forbidding looking forest called Dantaka. Thus ends the fourth canto called Bharada's Vow of the Ayodhya Gakanda in the glorious Ramayana of the sage Vajmini. Hari Om, that's it. Rama asked, How can you say that to be not empty, not illumined, not dark? Vasishta replies, Even as the uncarved image is latent in the block of wood, the world, whether you regard it as real or unreal, is inherent in the Absolute. Just as in a calm ocean, you cannot say that there are no waves. The Absolute is not empty of the world. 
In truth, however, the world does not rise from the Absolute, nor does it merge in it. The Absolute alone exists now and forever from this Yoga Vasishta. Hari Om.